0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first Vassals of Kingsgrave read through the Witcher series by Andre Sapkowski. I am Paul, Sir General on the forums, and I'm going to be hosting this episode. And joining today are my uh, fellow Witchers, Bards, and Sorceresses. Uh, first up is Mikal.
1: Hi, Ink Azrain on the forums, and fellow Witcher fanatic. Thanks, Paul.
0: You're welcome. <laughs> Abby.
1: Hi,
2: Daisy Mormon on the forums and skeptic of The Witcher, still uncertain how I feel.
3: Kevin, hi, creepy uncle Kevin on the forums. Um, I definitely read The Witcher.
0: That's that's
4: a, Ouch. a
0: what a great o- what a great opening. I have read this. Uh, Bing.
4: This is Shushan on the forums. Definitely a fanatic of The Witcher.
0: Yes, join us, Bing. Uh, David?
5: Hi, David HHH on the forums. Um, I've been thinking about reading it or watching it or playing it for a while, and, well, since we're all at home and have lots of time, or at least many of us are, I jumped in so I could join this podcast and just started reading a few days ago and read most of it, like, hours ago. <laughs> and Marie? Marie?
6: Hi, um, yes, Marie, it's Nymeri on the forums, and uh, I also have read it, which is a good thing. Uh, I'm not so sure myself about how I feel about it, and fair warning, there will be maybe French words and names, because I've read it in French, um, and the names have nothing in common, so this is going to be hard. Uh, I'm really
0: <laughs> eager it. to hear the differences.
6: <laughs> well, there's me one, but... Uh... <laughs> Is yeah, it Jaskier? Is Dan name? Yeah. yeah no, it, it is. Yeah. Okay.
5: Okay. we is. We're gonna yeah. get all the
0: names.
6: How do up. How wow. do you know the name in French though?
0: <laughs> because that's the Polish name as yeah, well. Okay. Name. Oh. Oh
6: wait. They uh, use the Polish name. They use the Polish
2: name in French and not the French word for dandelion.
0: Yes, yeah.
6: And I because I was yes. like, well, but I know what a dandelion is, and it's not that, so, so why? <laughs> exactly. Nice,
0: yeah. In this dandelion. world, I think it's pronounced dandelion. Uh, I How do I'm
2: they how that. How do they spell it in French, though?
6: What? I'm
2: like, just... jaskier. Oh, oh, they do it with a J sound, not the yeah. Y
0: sound? Interesting. I am intrigued. So Yeah, I think the yeah. Polish is jaskier.
4: Well, yeah, that's the original. <laughs> dandelion is the English fabrication. Oh.
5: <laughs> well, if it's an English fabrication, then it probably is pronounced dandelion, right? Because it was dandelion. Why would, I mean, that's like a translation. Well, it yeah, would yeah. definitely. In, right in the a word
0: in the audiobook. dandelion the just it.
1: sounds in english way less stupid than
5: dandelion I, I i like them both i as i was reading it i kept going back and forth <laughs> anyway. yeah i
2: wish they had i wish they had kept yes Gear, but whatever <laughs> yes
4: yeah, a TV show.
1: and now i'm all confused because i like the character a lot and he's very important so to call wait Dude, okay wait. hold
2: on hold on real quick are we establishing this is a no-TV show spoilers, though? Because I haven't seen it, and if it is a spoilers for a TV show, I yeah. will hop off this cast.
4: Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah. extent of me going to a TV I mean, show is his name.
2: I, I'd say this.
5: <laughs> I think it's okay to say they did it better in the show or, like, basic things like this is in the first season, this isn't, but, like, no spoilers.
4: Yeah, that's yeah, fine. You
5: know, translation, pronunciation, stuff like that's okay, I
0: think. However, I will bitch about how Full Test isn't sexy in the show, even though he is specifically <laughs> dis- described as beautiful in the books but okay. that is my biggest gripe.
6: Okay. Uh <laughs> you mean Burger King?
0: yes what? Burger the Burger King. I have no King. idea
6: what, who we're talking about anyway, sir. That's so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway. All right. Uh to get started, uh how about we just each kind of I guess some of us already have, have said, but uh how did you first kind of hear about The Witcher and also what would you say is your favorite short story in the collection of this collection? We'll get to the second collection next time. I guess I'll go first just to keep things going. Uh, I f- I got into The Witcher because of the video games. Uh, I had heard great praise of them, and CD Projekt Red uh, they do some great video games with fantastic voice acting. Uh, the soundtrack, like all the music for it, is a very Eastern European style and sounds it's just very different from what I'm usually used to. And it's just a very nice uh, atmosphere. And the characters in the video games are just very good. And so then when I found out, oh, this is actually a very popular series outside of America. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll give this a look. And uh, I ended up reading them about uh, yeah, four years ago when I started college. And yeah, I just fell in love with them. It's I just, it adds so much lore to the world that I'm a lore junkie, so as soon as I find a fantastical world to uh, get attached to, I latch on and don't let go. When oh, my favorite story in this collection, sorry, is uh, the. Oh, actually, I'll come back. Actually, no, it is a question of price, is my favorite story in this one.
1: I started watching the show because everybody was like, it's so good, it's so good. And, like, I enjoyed the show, but I don't think the show is very good. <laughs> I was not intending on picking up the books and like actually had the thought like, I'm not going to read those. If, if they were really good, they would have been famous in America already. So I'm an asshole. I had some free audible credits, so I got the books. I will say, I think like a lot, a lot of people on the cast, I wasn't like hardcore sold after the last wish. The last wish is about establishing the relationships and establishing a lot of the characters in the fact that, like, they exist, and a lot of the the concepts of the world, and things really kind of take off once Sapkowski can start using those. I sped through the series, except for a couple of, like, mental health breaks, because it was getting too intense for me. Paul was my therapist through this process, slash tormentor. Yeah, no, so it was just a really, a really, it, I found it really wonderful to dive into such a great fantasy world, but didn't feel like, like, there's a Writing fantasy is very hard, so, like, no shade to any other authors, but, like, there is sometimes a sense of, like, effort. You can feel the author actively doing, like, the world-building or the, you know, name-dropping of characters, and, like, I just I just felt this was very seamless and natural, and once you get to really enjoy the characters, they're just unbelievably wonderful and complicated and, and very lovable. And the books are very different in in certain ways from I guess what you would expect typical fantasy to be. Now I found myself here. I'm a Witcher Stan. My favorite short story in this one I actually think The Witcher might be like structurally one of the strongest, but certainly a question of price is very is, is, is the most like feminist appropriate story. Calanthe is just, like, a boss. And then I also really like The, the Last Wish because that has a lot of really cool implications for the feature, and it has Dandelion and CNFR. Okay,
5: uh, why don't I jump in, then? So, I, you know, I've obviously heard about them forever. I mean, everyone knows about the video games. I, I've enjoyed it. It was interesting, when I started, like, the first story or two, I was, like, really skeptical as I was going in, because it seemed really, I don't know, a little too like almost a video gamey like ooh here's like a list of enemies and and there were so many different names and monsters thrown at you in the first couple of stories at once that i had trouble paying attention i just kind of was glazing over a lot of it i thought um and the characters seemed kind of generic in the first story or two to me at least but as it went on i liked the twists that the stories had and you know and i think i think i was like fully on board with i guess since we asked our favorite story with um once we got to a question of price i was definitely on board i really liked that one a lot i'm not sure if i would put that or um last word is uh, last wish is my favorite but they were both really good i think i feel like last wish makes for a great like season finale <laughs> you know you, you can see like the big huge battles being the like you you know like that the whole big last like 10 minutes of, of the season but um but all in all i liked i, I enjoyed it I, i'm willing to come back to it so there's that
6: yeah for me i guess it's um the same as at, with most of you guys it was actually in my uh on my re- to read list for a while just because it's it's indeed fame more famous in um in europe than it is in the in the uk so i i knew about this book but the show, which I, I didn't watch, yeah, made, uh, made me buy it. And I was like, OK, now I'm going to read them so that I can watch the show afterwards, because that's what I do. I'm reading them in French, uh, because when you have to choose in translation anyway, because I'm not going to read them in Polish, <laughs> might as well use your first language. I find the writing a bit weird. I think that's the main reason why I'm not entirely uh, convinced yet, um, but it's also because I'm I'm not a, a huge fan of short stories in general. But I, I did like the stories and um, I'm into the second book now and it, it, it is getting better, so I'm going to keep reading. And I guess my favorite story would be maybe The Lesser Evil which establishes a lot of things uh, regarding this world and our main character. And yeah, and thanks, Paul, for making us all read this book. <laughs> yep.
0: Look, I'm just the drug dealer. The first hit is free. <laughs> <There> you-, <laughs> you guys got to do the rest.
4: So uh, yeah, Paul didn't really uh, introduce me to this drug because I was long, long past that point <laughs> by the time <laughs> by the, by the time I was... This. Yeah, no, 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 I, I've long been, I've, I've taken the drug, done the rehab, and I'm back in it. <laughs> so, um, I first heard about the series back in 2008, I think, when the first game first came out. When my, so my roommate was playing the first game, and he said it was great. I didn't actually like the first game very much, but it was the second book, the second game, that I actually, that I actually played and, and hooked me. And I also started reading the books at, uh, back then. So that was I think 2012, 2013. Since then, I've played a third game, although I don't know if I've actually finished the entire game yet. And I've watched the TV show. This is my third or fourth reread of all the books. And it's actually fun for me in the reread to actually pick out the small details, which I didn't realize was there, that's actually now in the in the games as well, and also were were put into the TV show, this or, this or that. So my favorite story out of all of these is... The question of price is um, still out of all The Witcher, uh, even the ones that, that, that's going to come. Because uh, not only uh, is the story itself, I think, great, but also sets up so much for what's going to come. And it also contains the genesis of my favorite
3: character in the books. So how did I get into it? That's the first question. I played The Witcher 3 a long time ago, probably four or five years ago. And that was a lot. That was a tough place to jump in. For the most part, kind of hadn't thought much about it until the Netflix series. I actually just watched watched that probably two or three weeks ago, which for reference is about four months after it came out. Saw the call to arms and decided to make this happen. So I didn't find it organically or anything, I guess, is the, the story for me. As far as overall feelings, there were definitely parts that I enjoyed that I thought flowed and had good characters. There were parts that I thought drug. And I guess too, I'm not a huge reader of fantasy outside of A Song of Ice and Fire. So for the most part, most of the time when I read it, I maybe have impossible standards in terms of character depth. And I think I had to adjust my settings a little bit and started liking it better. My favorite story on it was probably probably The Witcher. It's kind of simple, self-contained, but I think it does a really good job sort of establishing um, Geralt's approach to the world, his sort of opinions on how he does his job and his, his personal code, I think it, it's a very good show-not-tell example of that. All right, and Abby.
2: All right, so flashback to a young Abby four months ago in Poland, seeing all of these signs for some weird show in Polish being like what is this what's happening someone's like oh this is the witcher they're making a show and i was like oh that's a video game i don't play video games that aren't pokemon or nintendo so i was like whatever then the show comes out and my roommate watches it and she's like wow it's really good and i'm like wow there's and she's like there's also books And I'm like, wow, this is the first time in my life where I actually have the opportunity to read the book before I see the piece of media because it's very new. So I will not know anything about it. This is wonderful. So then I was like, I will read these books one day, but that day would not be soon because I'm a big procrastinator on everything. But then I saw a CTA and I was like, okay, frick, I need to get these books. And then also my school closed. And I was like, they were like, you have two weeks of no school. So I was like, all right, okay, now I have time to read these books. Then I went and got the book and I read it and I finished reading it like 30 minutes ago and was not very much of a fan. Uh, I think there's way too much dialogue and way too much exposition being just like shoved at you through dialogue. And also, I'm not sure if this is like a translation thing or not, but like um, I have like a lot of issues with the the wording, you the word choices used because it just seems like they speak really modern and it's kind of strange for the s- setting that they're in. Also, though, I'm not like super into fantasy beyond A Song of Ice and Fire and like harry potter so i'm not very familiar with a lot of fantasy things so maybe this is just me being like i need these archaicisms in there or whatever but uh i thought it was like interesting i definitely liked when dandelion got introduced because he was fun and like before that i was kind of like all these characters are kind of boring. like Geralt, Geralt, he is a piece of white bread and like i understand i was like okay he's like a video game main character so he has to just kind of be like like some sourdough bread over here my favorite short story i guess um i don't really remember like i don't none of them really like stuck out to me except for i really liked a grain of truth but that's only because Geralt had the best zinger in it like i literally i had to get a a sticky note and like mark it because it was so amazing and when i give my chapter summary you will all know this amazing zinger it was so wonderful i just i loved it so much
0: i mean the last wish is some of sapkowski's first like actual work like he, he didn't really set out to be an author like he went to college for economics and you can see some of that in his later writings but like he definitely develops with time and he certainly gets better i would say like this like the last wish contains some of his weaker work simply because a lot of it's just his first work but at the same time a lot can be kind of drawn in So, let me just kind of give a setting for those listening who don't really know too much about the Witcher universe. Um, The Witcher universe takes place on a place simply called the Continent, uh, and it is originally home to dwarves and gnomes, and elves and later humans have entered into it from other worlds. Humans are implied to have come from Earth. Um, However, monsters have also entered the world from more dangerous realms during a conjunction of the spheres. As early humans had not yet built cities or walls, they needed protection from the beasts. Thus, humanity's sorcerers came up with the witchers. Humans mutated for greater strength, speed, and stamina than your average human. Trained from childhood in the ways of swordsmanship, alchemy, and minor magic, witchers travel about from town to town, acting sort of as exterminators for dangerous monsters, as well as uh, low-grade handymen for breaking curses as well. However, by now much of humanity holds a bias against witchers, viewing them as heartless mutants who will do anything for money. A witcher is only ever loved by a town until he gives them his required price to rid them of the beast and is often chased off afterwards, sometimes even without being paid. The Witcher books follow Geralt of Rivia, a wholly unusual witcher in that he is often pulled into more things than what his trade and nature usually allow. And with the last wish and Storm of Swords collections of short stories, they kind of are used as setting the stage for what the world is where we st- what the world is that we see in the books, and essentially act sort of as a prologue as to the actual main series, which starts with uh, Blood of Elves. Storm of but yeah, <laughs> sorry, D- did I say Storm of Swords? You did. <laughs> Fuck.
4: <laughs> you definitely Sword did. Of I had to.
0: Sword Sword of Destiny,
4: of yeah. I was <laughs> yeah, talking about I didn't know about the I should and we're not.
0: <laughs> I, was, I was like, what a coincidence. <laughs> I, what, what are you talking about? I was bringing up my no. Witcher Song of Ice and Fire fanfiction. Uh, uh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but I had to. All right. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's start off with the first short story in the book, The Witcher. So, Kevin?
3: Yes, The Witcher. <clears throat> Here's my painstakingly prepared recap from the wiki.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I await with bated breath.
3: Geralt meets with the king of Temeria, Foltis, to cure the king's daughter, born from an incestuous, scandalous union with his late sister of a curse that transformed her into a monstrous Striga, who now terrorizes the town for a valuable reward. Foltis insists that Geralt not harm his daughter-turned-Striga, but soon allows Geralt to kill the Striga if Geralt decides that she cannot be cured back to her human form. Geralt spends the night at the Old Palace, which houses the Striga. Lord Ostrit, a magnate from Novograd, arrives and tries to bribe Geralt into running away. Ostrit wants to use the Striga situation as proof of Foltis' inability to rule, convincing the inhabitants to support Novograd's rule of Temeria over Fultists. That's a hard possessive to do. Foltis'. Geralt refuses and knocks out Ostrit to use him as bait for the Striga. Geralt fights with the Striga and soon overcomes her, despite the Striga's resistance to Silver, which normally easily defeats monsters. In the morning, Geralt incorrectly believes the Striga has returned to a human and is severely wounded before the Striga finally becomes a young girl again. Geralt binds his wounds and faints, having earned his reward.
0: This is a very basic story in its Ah. opening, Uh, just kind of sets the tone for what you imagine like the average Witcher job might be. You get hired by someone to break a curse or kill a monster, sometimes both, (laughs) Uh, and it just also kind of shows Geralt as the consummate professional in his everyday work.
5: I just felt he was boring as fuck in this story. I'm sorry. I was like, is this our hero? Like everyone talks about what a great badass he is and how what a wise ass he is and all that stuff online. And I was like, if this is all we're getting, I'm, I don't think I'm going to make it through the book. And and luckily he got better. So and and the story itself, I thought, was really generic. Generic
4: fantasy. It's very different coming into this uh, knowing what a character Geralt is already. Because otherwise, because I felt when I read it, I already know sort of have an established picture of what Geralt is having played Witcher 2. So coming into it, I actually felt like this is a fun Monster of the Week time. It's very charming that way in comparison to what the video games are. So when you're coming in for a different approach, when you, this, the, the very first impression can be a little rough.
2: Yeah, I had some issues with this chapter, but like, I think in retrospect, I probably liked it more than the other ones because there's so first of all, I had no I, I assume astriga is something that's like, specifically made up to this book, but I was like, the way it was described, I just had no way to picture it in my head. Yeah. I, so I went right to Google. <laughs> yeah. Me, oh, me too, me too. But then also there's just like, yeah, something with, I, I think it's just something with the writing style, but there's a lot of things that like he tries to like show, not tell, but then it ends up me being just really confused about what the heck is happening. So when he was, I like, I read this this chapter a really long time ago, so I don't exactly remember my feelings towards it, but I just remember when he was like, fighting with the sugar i was so confused what was going on for like half the time and maybe it's because i'm not like a close enough reader or something but it was just something that that i noticed throughout the book is just like i was constantly like wait what is happening like like i I understand that you don't want to tell us exactly what's going on but i was like what 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 like this becomes more of a problem later there was literally one chapter i had to look up a plot synopsis because i was like what is going on like am i reading this correctly but um I actually, this chapter, I guess, I, I, I definitely, in retrospect, liked it more than a lot of the other chapters, just because it did tell a story that, like, kind of seemed to make more sense than a lot of the other stories, because it did feel like he came to do a job, and he did his job, where a lot of them, it was like, oh, maybe he's gonna do a job, but we don't really know, like, uh, I don't know, but sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm very negative right now. <laughs>
4: The thing about sapkowski is that he especially in these early stories he is sort of he dodges trying to describe in more detail sort of the, the more action scenes yeah uh, so um uh, and and that so he is i think i feel like is much better at actually sort of the more di- in, in more dialogue see- heavy scenes in more illustrating characters um he yeah and and Often what I do is I, I just substitute what's going on in, I, in the video games into those scenes now. This is the problem I have coming into these books from the second game and now having played the third game as well. Right? I just substitute what's going on in video games into these action scenes. It's very different from somebody who's just reading it for the first time, the first time you approach this, this, uh, the, the, the series.
1: I watched the show before I read the books, so it actually did help in a lot of ways, and that, like, I was more familiar with, like, like, this story is in the first season, and it... I didn't have to track everything and, like, decode as much, but I do really like the way he kind of just, like, tosses you in the deep end, and, you know, like, it's... it's what Where's Rivia? Don't know, you know. What's a witcher? Like, we'll get some kind of explanation of that, but, like, I do think that the confusing stuff comes more from the politics than the mechanisms of like the Witcher stuff. The story was like written in nineteen eighty six, so I think it's like pretty audacious to like, you know, just be like, here's my here's my debut fantasy story and it's like super incesty and like I'm not actually like gonna comment particularly on that, you know? Yeah. Um, Can
5: I ask you a quick question? Um maybe for Paul or, or Bing since you're more the experts. Like, in terms of – in what order were these stories written in terms of based on each other and the and the other series, the other books? Because maybe that'll help in our discussion. Because, like, for instance, if something's the very first thing he ever wrote, then it makes sense that he hasn't, like, fleshed certain things out. Because I know these were all, like, gathered from other stuff he'd written for other, like, you know, for, from other, like, anthologies and stuff.
0: Door- Order-wise, there's not too much of a specific order that the short stories take – Uh, Specifically with this one, I think the only thing that really matters is that uh, The Witcher and by proxy, uh, uh, The Voice of Reason, both take place, uh, like The Voice of Reason takes place almost immediately after uh, The uh, Witcher. And yeah. by then, uh, the voice of reason kind of uh, seeps in, like, stuff from The Last Wish, because he mentioned for and stuff like that. I, I
5: get that, but that's not what, what I was more referring to is in terms of, like, how he wrote them. Does anyone know, like, you know, for instance, was The Witcher the very first one he did, or was The you know the Last Wish the first one, or did they come after a few of the novels, or stuff like that, just so we can have a sense of, like, how he was building, you know? Because, I mean, like, you know, and, for instance, in the Game of Thrones book, a lot of the stuff... You know he hasn't done a lot of the world building yet.
0: So sorry. I know for sure The Witcher was his first uh, yeah. story that he submitted to a magazine. Uh, Bing, do you know? 1986. 1986.
4: It won third uh, place. Yeah, it didn't even win <laughs>
0: the first place.
4: So the first one is yes, the first one is The Witcher. Um, and then came actually uh, a story that's in another. Uh, so the road with no return. Um, is that is that in Sword of Destiny or is that in something and something begins? Actually, so some and then follow some of these stories in here and some of the stories in short, the Sword of Destiny. Um, I don't know the so I so I, I don't know the, quite the 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 uh, the time frame between like some of the other stories in here. But, but most Witcher,
5: of these were written before the novels. Uh,
4: Yeah. Okay. Yes.
5: Just curious, because I didn't have I wasn't sure.
4: Yeah. Thank Yeah. You. Um, but The Witcher is definitely the very first one. And it seems it. But yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know if The Road with No Return is actually in the, one of the collections of books. Yeah. I think, I think it might be It's like a standalone. I don't yeah. think
1: I've read that one, so.
0: He has so, like yeah. a
1: million short stories. Like every time I think I have a grasp on it, somebody from Poland is like, have you read this one? And I'm like, no, I didn't know that existed.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the, yeah, it's, it's the early years It's uh, of fantasy publishing, uh, early, early times of fantasy publishing, where, uh, I mean, where a lot of this is still sort of serialized um, in magazines and stuff like that. And so, again, at this time, he wasn't thinking about constructing a coherent story. Yeah, which is
1: why we have the, like, memory harp sound that basically is the entirety of um, the voice of reason. mm Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Yeah, there's not too much to say about the no. Witcher. It certainly sets the world up. T- uh, you see the kingdom of Temeria and Test the king who they play a greater role in the books and later video games. Um That's
6: Good, cuz I liked him somehow. Yes.
0: <laughs> he comes off as a very selfish king, but a good man yeah. in a way, He there's like there's there's elements of Robert Baratheon in there if Rot baratheon stayed sexy and,
5: <laughs> <laughs> and, and i like he the did, TV did, show.
0: And had a, <laughs> did marry cersei like
4: yeah. yeah
0: he just stayed single as a bad king like and you, you do see he actually really does want to know his daughter he wants to be her father mm-hmm. and like he's like this is my child so and i believe i'm probably just I'm probably copying off Mikal's other podcast where she talked about The Witcher. But uh, (laughs) you really do see uh, the fact that we don't really know if his sister loved him back or uh, if she was just kind of there. Yeah, she's not present. No. She's dead. It's the dead lady syndrome. Uh, But you do, at least to his credit, see that he legitimately wants his daughter and like of course people can be like oh it's because he also needs an heir but i don't think like if you need an heir he could marry anyone he wants he
4: didn't become his heir
0: i well, no spoilers for people sorry the, it's who, not important the games it's
4: not it's not important
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: there are easier and, and more pleasant ways of acquiring an heir yeah. I think yeah. Then, uh, Other
0: than turning yeah. a monster into your daughter.
4: It's pointed out. It's pointed out in in the in the in these books that uh, uh d- women typically don't become heirs, anyways.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so he is. It, I I think it very much comes down to maybe not the best king, but a, at least a decent dad. Well,
4: it's
1: interesting. He's like he's like a decent dad. I don't know if he's like a good person because he is at the same time being like, yeah, I guess a bunch of people have been killed over the years, <laughs> like.
2: Oh, well, it's wow. also
0: the fact that yeah. he's the king. I don't think he could be too connected with the peasantry. Yeah. And it is yeah. usually like the peasants who get killed by the monster.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. See, that I reminded feel... me of that like oh, that Lord Farquaad quote where he's like, "Some of you will die I'm yes. not prepared to make that sacrifice." <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> so oh, like, God, now like I'm picturing full test as <laughs> Lord Farquaad. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> don't like that. He's not sexy.
3: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I think I think um, kind of the moral judgment um, of Fultis maybe changes in 2020 versus 1986. Mm-hmm. Like I think, like I think, even 10 or 15 years ago in my life, I probably would have agreed and looked more at, well, he's trying to be a good dad. You know, he, t- he tries, he cares about his daughter. And I think the story is meant to highlight that, but you know, nowadays it's it is it's hard to read a story like this where he, they just casually mention all the peasants that she's killed and, and, and all the various people she's killed. And it's not just people who are coming to try to deal with her. It's she's going out and hunting people. And it's hard not to read that and then just get furious with the leader who would let that keep happening because, you know, on this faint hope that she gets saved. And then it does work out, right. which, you know, it's like, if you have a plan to win the lottery, you didn't really have a plan. But then I guess if you do, you look smart, but
2: Alright, tinfoil, but maybe, because this was, like, when, when did Poland become uh free of communist, like, Soviet rule? I don't remember, but it was, like, sometime in the 80s.
4: 1990.
2: And, okay, well, maybe this is a commentary that is anti-Soviet, t- like, anti-communist being, like, we are gonna make these capitalist feudal lords
1: seem like the good guy
4: last <laughs> well, actually was...
1: abby like i think that's i don't know so much about we'll this get to story, that with but there is a lot of stuff in, <laughs> yeah. in, in general in the story in in the witcher books that like i'm like oh he's definitely talking shit about russia right now like yes. for sure we'll,
4: we'll get to nelfgard yeah,
1: yeah. But I, but I agree. I think that's interesting, Kevin, because it does, it definitely does change. But I think that just kind of makes Baltus like a, a complicated character, right? Because like, I do, I do think he's a good father. I don't know that he was a good partner to his sister um i don't know that he's a like a just king you know like it it does take kind of a lot of gall to be like oh well build me a new palace <laughs> this one has my monster daughter in it
0: that is yeah. kind of ridiculous he's it's like oh time to move there's a monster in this
1: yeah one. That, I mean it's very like that's not really highlighted, but it to me it strikes me as like so decadent and just like, you know, like you imagine like the real housewives of somewhere just being like, Ew, like the sink broke or moving, you
0: know. When there are like the meetings between the monarchs and later books, it does kind of feel like the real housewives at <laughs> different points.
3: I was more bothered that he that they said he built the the palace in seven years. Like there's no way. Unless a sorcerer helped them or something, that that uh, another castle would be built in seven years with that technology.
0: Well, there are dwarves in this world, and I don't know. There could be fantasy elements. He could have his court sorcerers do some help, but yeah. That is ooh, now that is kind of... Oh, the peasants never have a good existence in any of these fantasy books, do they? No, uh, but
1: that does become a theme also. Would they? Like helpless people. <laughs> I mean, they,
0: they should have thought of that before they became peasants. Okay. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Wait, where's that from? Uh, it's from uh, Emperor's New Groove. The <laughs> <laughs> <seamless> fantasy <laughs> Oh novel. god, I oh, need to re-watch that. Cold classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Alright. Uh, anyone else have anything to say about uh, The Witcher? Next up is A Grain of Truth.
2: While traveling through a forest, Geralt comes across corpses with strange wounds. One corpse has a blue rose pinned on its dress. Chasing the path the corpses came from, the Witcher arrives at a seemingly deserted mansion. Before entering the premises, he notices a woman in the forest line watching him. She runs away once Geralt notices. Geralt approaches the house and its owner. A large bear-like beast named Novellin. attempts to scare him away, to no avail. Novellin allows Geralt to enter the house, which supernaturally obeys Novellin's every command. Novellin discusses how at one point he was a human who raped a priestess at a religious temple, who cursed him to be a beast until certain conditions were fulfilled, but Navellan could not remember what those conditions were. Returning to the mansion, his family home, he attempted to entertain relationships with daughters of merchants to help cure his curse, but none seemed to help. Before departing, Geralt warns Novellin that his newest relationship, named Verena, may actually be a monster. Novellin insists that he and Verena are truly in love and is now hesitant to break his curse. Geralt notices his horse acting strangely, but dismisses it and leaves. Along the road, Geralt realizes why his horse acted strangely and returns to the mansion. He's greeted by Verena, who Geralt identifies as a Bruxa, a vampire-like monster with telepathic abilities. A fight ensues. The Bruxa overwhelms Geralt, but Novellin joins the fray and impales the monster on a pole. The Berksa confesses her love for Novellin telepathically just before Geralt finally kills her. The confession breaks Novellin's curse and he returns to normal. Within all of the story, Geralt makes the most savage inner monologue ever. I'm just going to read this paragraph. It's two sentences. I promise you it will be worth it. So on page 56... When Nivellen is like, this is what I used to look like. The line is, beneath the dust and spiderwebs, a nondescript man with a bloated, sad, spotty face and watery eyes looked down from the painting. Geralt, who was no stranger to the way portrait painters tended to flat- flatter their clients, nodded. The end. That was so savage.
5: I like the twist, though. Like, I mean, most of these stories have a, like, you know, big twist in the middle. You know, I like I like the fact that, you know, oh, it's, it's a monster. And hey, come on in for... For tea and cookies <laughs> and and then like the monsters the good guy like you know it wasn't what you expect from a fantasy story so i, I kind of like that yeah uh, air really quotes around good
4: fly. guy well yeah
2: it's it's very like one really wanted them to fly off in the end like in la belle et la Bette from the 1950s that would have been the best
1: i just keep getting hung up on the fact that it's like man i had to rape her
5: yeah, yeah. I mean that that's part sucks. And like
1: we just it's kinda like, Oh well, he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. I I, I retract that. <laughs> it's I yeah. mean, you know, the the story doesn't ask you to interrogate that for sure. But like right. to me that was just like blah, 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 blah. wait, you're blaming the priestess? Wait. Like this was a bad temple? Like
0: right, 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 is right. that
1: the problem here? <laughs> like And that's
5: okay, definitely see, how he I, writes it. I, oh that's that's definitely how he writes it, because I know when I was reading it at the time, I was like, oh, ew, ew. ew. Now, then when I thought about it afterwards, I was like, oh, yeah, he was sweet.
2: But I think that for a retelling of Beauty and the Beast, it is an interesting choice to make. And I think that it's actually more fitting for the actual like moral behind the Beauty and the beast um, on, on the princess part where like, cause in the Disney version and I actually think in the original, I don't remember. It's been years since I've watched that. <laughs> the reason he turns into a beast is cause he's just kind of an asshole and like he has to grow from that in some way. But like in this version, like he's actually kind of like a piece of shit and he, he doesn't have the maturity to see that he is making these decisions for himself. And, like, he's like, no, no, I was forced to do it. Like, they would have thought I was weak, yada, yada, yada. And so by becoming this beastly monster, he's forced to, like, tackle with his, like, himself. And he, we do see that he has grown as a person. And I'm not saying, like, it's okay that he raped this woman and he grew from it. But I, I do think that it, it, uh because, like, the brutality of women should not be used for, like, character growth. But I do think that is a better option than just, just like, what we're what used we're to doing. in this kind of um, fairy tale growth. I that sounds horrible what I just said, but right. I hope that you don't misinterpret what I'm trying to say. Uh,
5: on the can't. other hand, I feel like in Beauty and the Beast, you know, I mean in this story, he did something awful long ago, but he he, he does grow. Whereas in Beauty and the Beast, what he did was he was kind of like rude to a to a guest. Whereas then he then freaking kidnapped Belle's father and then holds her hostage. I mean, he gets worse. He he eventually like gets better when he falls in love with her i mean beauty and the beast is just stockholm syndrome the movie right
1: i think he does improve from the person in general and like you know that he that he you know he's more confident like you know i guess I, i don't i don't really object to what he does with these girls you know like because i i i have to take him at his word that like when they do sleep with him you know it's it's their choice and and all that but like but I, I don't think there's any reckoning within the story that, like, hmm, maybe you shouldn't have raped that priestess. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that that is something that either Geralt or um, Nivellen consider.
4: So this is w- something that I think Subkowski, especially in the early stories, he has a bad tendency to try to, like, put his own twist on the classic fairy tales. Obviously, this is, we've mentioned many times before, this is Beauty, of the Be- Beauty and the Beast. And he's tried to figure out ways to sort of, what is my angle into this story? What is my contribution to sort of, into this sort of very familiar fairy tale, uh, but adding a twist to it. Um, and I don't think he has, con- he at this point in time in his writing career, he hasn't really considered the sort of the delicacy of, of sort of the subject matter he's wading into. Um, kind of like how in the first story, he didn't consider the, 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 the potential questions that incest could lead into. Um, and, I think later on he's much more delicate in handling potentially controversial issues.
1: I like mean, I, even question of price. I was getting real sick of some of the women stuff in in this in this book when I was reading it. And then we got to a question of price, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Whoa, whoa, yeah. Agency. okay, wow." My criticisms of of his work, I think, are definitely in the moment, um, yeah. and I I think they're valid because this is the story. No, absolutely. I'm glad I didn't stop at this. And yeah. and think that that was the whole the whole arc of his himself as a as a writer of female characters.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. Personally, I think this is one of his weakest.
0: And you see throughout the books, he does take elements of fairy tales and tries like pulls a little dark spin on them. Like, hey, it's not a happily ever after. Yada yada yada. This one though was the most over the head one. Like mm-hmm. he beats you with it. He's like, yeah. yeah, it's Beauty and the Beast. Get it? He's wearing a doublet and stuff, and he's a big monster. His <laughs> house is magic. His house is magic and everything. But yeah. while in some of the later short stories and actual bo- uh, the actual books, uh, it's a lot more subtle. And yeah, you still get like the ooh, this uh, Renfrey is Snow White and so yeah. forth. Uh, it's all very subtle. Cinderella. Yeah. And it's all just very kind of more his own than the actual fairy tale. I think he just tried too hard with this one. And, again, what Mikal said, maybe raping the priest, like, could have been murder. Murder murder, murder would have been fine. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's just so weird. It's like, and then, she, and then she killed herself, like, a gall. And I'm just like, what?
0: What is going on? Yes. Despite you, of course.
1: Yeah, and it's also the second story in a row where, like, basically the women have no voices at all. And like, yeah. I guess technically the what? What did she turn out to be? The Bruxa? She, she, she does have some things to say, but they're they're not but
0: they're not especially the profound. <laughs> like she's supposed to be the real monster, and yeah. So. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I and mean, to be fair, female of Bruxa's tend to be intelligent. They are. They are. I've played
0: the games. <laughs> All right, going from A Grain of Truth, we're going to The Lesser Evil.
5: On the eve of a market festival, Geralt rides into the town of Blavikand with a monster carcass in tow. He seeks out Kaldemain, the town's alderman, to try to get a reward for for killing the monster. Kaldemain refuses, but one of his guards mentions that the town wizard might find value in it. They head to the wizard's tower, who is uninterested in the carcass, but wants to meet Geralt nonetheless alone. Geralt steps into the tower and discovered the wizard is... Stregobor, a mage he has met previously, Stregobor or however you pronounce it, um, explains why he is in hiding and why he wished to meet with Geralt. A young supposedly cursed woman wants to assassinate him and Stregobor wants Geralt's protection. Geralt refuses in disbelief and leaves. Meanwhile, the described assassin named Renfrey has entered Blaviken along with her band of mercenaries. Geralt meets her in a local tavern and she explains to Geralt and Caldemain that she bears a letter from a king that she is under his protection, which Caldemain confirms. That night when Geralt withdraws to his attic room at Caldemain's ho- home, he finds Renfri. Renfri explains that Stragabor has previously tried to kill her for no reason other than a superstition and encourages the Witcher to kill Stregabor instead. Geralt again refuses and pleads with Renfri to forgive Stregabor to f- prove the superstition wrong. Renfrey refuses, but implies she will leave town peaceably before spending the night with Geralt. In the morning on the day of the market festival, Geralt realizes that Renfrey lied and won't be leaving town, but will in fact massacre the people of Blaviken to draw Stragabor out of his tower. Bummer. Um, Geralt races to the marketplace and finds Renfri's mercenaries. Although they show no immediate indication of causing harm in the market, Geralt attacks and swiftly kills each mercenary. When Renfrey arrives, Geralt defeats her as well. After the fight, Stregobor approaches the Witcher, intent on performing an autopsy on Renfrey's body to prove that the course had physically affected her. Geralt refuses to let him touch her body. Stregobor leaves, and the townsfolk believing in Geralt had just murdered a group of innocent men during the festival, begin hurling rocks at the Witcher. Geralt protects himself with magic until Caldomain tells the villagers to stop, but demands Geralt leave Blaviken and never return. Geralt's actions have now earned him the nickname the Butcher of Blaviken.
0: All right, and with this story... Is kind of our first concept of Geralt's inner struggle consistently to not get involved before he is inevitably pulled in to get involved and thus earning the name of the Butcher of Blaviken, which kind of follows him throughout uh, the rest of his life.
2: Uh, In my brain, when, like, Renfri was introduced, I just, like, I had, like, like, rock, heavy rock music playing, and I, like, picture her, like, walking, I don't know, like, I just, it was so over the top, her, like, mercenary career, they're just so, like, badass
1: and stuff, and I thought it was pretty funny. I, I think this. I mean, this is a really weird story to me, but, like, it definitely has some really interesting things in it like it it's the you know like i mentioned it's the first time like we actually get a female character really speaking for herself mm-hmm. um and that remains kind of like like the ambiguity is very interesting to me like it's it's frustrating because you don't actually know you know what like what renfrey is and you know is she is she really a monster is she really a mutant you know or just, like, a normal psychopath or whatever, the fact that Geralt has to, like, grapple with that ambiguity and not, not receive an answer and kind of, like, suffer for it anyway is a good entry into the rest of his struggle and, and his philosophy and his, like, ideas about choosing. Um, and even in the rest of this book, like, there's a lot of a lot of times when he is faced with that, with, with the idea of choosing, and he usually says he's not gonna and that doesn't. <laughs> the
2: choosing thing was something that I also picked up on and I just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just very negative or something, but like I was just like, why like I don't understand why he didn't just let her kill him, kill uh Strigobor. Like it just it seems like Geralt's like, I don't wanna get involved, like I don't know what's up, this guy's yeah. an asshole. Like I just there's so many things where it's like Geralt's like, Oh, I don't wanna like this is not my place to be involved. We see this also in the next story too, where he's like with the queen being like, Oh, like I don't really you know, this isn't my place to be involved. I deal with monsters, yada 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 and like then he's like oh but I'm involved now whoopsie uh, there's nothing I could do to not be involved whoops
6: <laughs> but yeah. he can't he can't really let her kill uh the the wizards because uh the only way for her to do that is to drive him out of his tower and and murder everyone in the process i think that's the that's the whole point he can't well
0: I mean, her first offer was for like Geralt to like help her lure him out of the tower yeah
6: but that's not that's not letting her kill him that's helping oh, her true. kill him and that's i get why that's not the same thing for
0: for adults. Mm-hmm. to yeah. us letting strugamore die might actually be the lesser evil like only one person dies but again we don't know for sure if Strugemore is guilty like yeah he's definitely an asshole you find out a lot of magic users in this world are Bad things have happened to Renfrey. She probably didn't deserve any of that. But at the same time, there's also the niggling doubt of the Curse of the Black Sun, where it's in the back of your mind, where you're like, well, is there a curse? Was she fated to turn out like this? Or was it the actions of these people that caused her to become like this? And does any of her past experiences excuse any of the bad stuff she's doing? It definitely gets into the deeper uh, philosophical bits that the rest of the Witcher books kind of follow. And then you get Mopey Geralt, Ultimate Form. I think this uh, story does a good job of kind of setting up later problems where he is like he is dedicating himself to neutrality or at least telling himself he's dedicating himself to neutrality because I think he's learned a quote unquote lesson from this.
4: Yeah, this story, I think, is very archetypical of what's going to many, many different stories that's coming up in The Witcher in that it's you're presented with a choice and often these choices are not just the good choice or the bad choice. It's often a shitty choice and another shitty choice. Yeah. And, and you're going in without perfect information and you sort of just had to, you know, you're know you not giving enough time to find out everything. You sort of just have to make a decision.
1: Every time I read this story, like I feel like I feel slightly differently about Renfri and whether, mm-hmm. you know, what, what she actually is because there's that really interesting point where the the narrator, like, she talks to the to the men and Geralt's, like, her voice was reminiscent of, like, blood and fire on steel and stuff like that. And and then there's that super weird moment at the end where, like, he has, like, an out-of-body experience where he refuses to let Stregobor touch her. And I still don't really know what's going on there.
4: Geralt's background has a lot of similarities with Renfri his own mm. personal background he, they were both abandoned at, as children
1: it's very ambiguous but at the same time like renfrey definitely gets her say and she you know she she has almost like a Shylockish, you know like you know i bleed if i if i'm pricked and all that um so i, I think the story is definitely like a step up um in a lot of ways from from the other stories in the collection or the ones at least before before now even though I I still don't know what happened, what's going on in the movie?
5: Yeah, I felt like I was totally lost in this story, and I think part of it was I was not paying as much attention, maybe, as I should be, because I just wasn't all that invested.
1: Because, I mean, it's really easy to miss. The Gambit, or whatever, that she says. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: where, like, bandits kidnapped, like, a merchant caravan, right. and then killed the merchant. Yeah,
1: and that's, mm-hmm. like, very... Because she, she mentions the Tridem ultimatum. Yeah. yeah. And like, you don't know what that, that okay. doesn't register. And it doesn't even really register the second time, I think. Right. Um, so it's, it's like almost too subtle a little bit, even though he explains exactly what happens. Um, but that is, I think that's really pivotal to understanding, you know, the story. Um, and then obviously you get that kind of like saddish moment at the end where she's like, Oh, it didn't work anyway. It wouldn't have worked. Um, so maybe nobody was even really in danger and, you know, all this was for nothing.
0: And you guys make a good point. Uh, like the, what the kind of world building Sapkowski does is sometimes very aggressive world world building where he just kind of throws things in as though you lived in the world yourself and you would know what a tritum ultimatum might be. He does like do his best to kind of throw monologue to kind of explain things, but he's, it's sort of an inverse of, uh, like Tolkien, who has, like, an entire first section that's, like, concerning hobbits. What is a hobbit? And yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. a beginner's manual to the yeah. Lord of the Rings.
5: Yeah, I mean, half that stuff you mentioned in your little pre your little uh, summary of, like, the background here, like, isn't anywhere in this book. Some of it is, but a lot of it isn't. I didn't know most of that. All right. Uh, the next
0: up is Question of Price.
4: The story begins of Geralt being groomed by uh, the Castellon of the Kingdom of Sintra, uh, he had been invited to uh, take the seat right next to uh, the Queen of Sintra, Kalanfi, uh, in a feast where she is about to uh, meet suitors, potential suitors, for her daughter Pavetta. Geralt is to pose as Sir Ravix of Fourhorn uh, During the dinner, various different guests come in. Potential suitors include the Duke of Atra, as well as a, a contingent of people coming from the island of Skellige, led by uh, Ice Tursak, as well as the actual suitor uh, uh, Krak-on-Kreit. And also among this uh, retinue from the islands of Skellige is the druid Mosasek, who throughout uh, the feast has been throwing eyes at uh, Geralt, pointing out that something, something weird is about to happen. So Geralt during the feast questions why Calamfi had uh, wanted him in this feast, specifically wants him to be right next to her, and why what is he doing in this feast in the first place. Calamfi hints that she, she's hiring her, him specifically for a good reason that uh, pertains to his job of monster slaying, which he questions given that this is a very political affair. It's known that Calamfi uh, wants to marry her daughter to Crack on, or any, someone from Skellige to form an alliance with them, and that he wants uh, Geralt Lair to ensure that happens. Eventually, why exactly him, a witcher, needs to be there was discovered when a weird knight shows up, a guy who claimed himself to be the Urchon of Erlemwald. So this guy claimed that 15 years ago he had saved uh, the life of uh, Calanthe's husband and Pavetta's uh, father, King Rognar. Um, When he was out hunting and that after saving his life, he has asked King Rognor for a reward by invoking the so-called law of surprise, in which he is to have what uh, Rognor has but doesn't know that he has at that point in time. That promise would turn out to be Princess Pavetta, who Calamfi was pregnant with when Rognor was out hunting. Queen Kalanfe refuses for him uh, Urchin's demand for her daughter's hand. Which led to a lot of discussions about uh, promises and destiny and all that sort of stuff. But eventually, Calamity uh, forces uh, Urchin of Erlenwald to remove his helmet, which discovers that his has the face of a monster. Um, and start chaos. Start so uh, a
3: hedgehog.
4: He looks like a hedgehog. Yes, uh, his Sonic, but like weird. Right. Um, so. So the so eventually a bunch of the other suitors started being started getting angry and started trying to attack Urcheon. Um, Gero at that time started to get involved, um, but everything sort of gets halted when Pavetta started to starts screaming and screaming louder and louder, uh, and suddenly her screams is causing uh, all sorts of mayhem to break out and people being forced. Uh, I don't know their eardrums being destroyed and things getting blown up in the in in in, in the palace. Um, eventually, Geralt was able to team up with Morsusak, the druid, to control. Finally, force her to control her to keep her power in check. Um, finally, when the ruckus had settled down, Geralt points out that. Uh, it's it is it, it isn't actually up to Kalanfi uh, or even Urchin to decide how the situation is going to be resolved, but that the law of surprise specifically uh, needs Pavetta herself to give approval. And but Pavetta and was discovered that Pavetta and uh, the well uh, and this Urchin, who's uh, called by Pavetta as Duni that they've actually had already been seeing each other for a year, and that Pavetta has and 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 that Pavetta actually is in love with her with him. So eventually, Queen just, uh accepts uh, that Dooney and Pavetta will be married, and that she herself will, will uh, marry Iced turzak to establish that alliance with Skellige. as she wants uh, to happen. Duny wants to thank Geralt for saving his life from the various guards and the Duke of Atra who tried to threaten him, as well as uh, controlling Pavetta, but Geralt uh, says, okay, well... I'll ask the same from you, what you asked from the king 15 years ago, with that which you have, but you don't know. Uh, at exactly that time, they discover that, well, turns out Pavetta's pregnant, so that her child in the future uh, would be raised as a uh, by Geralt as a witcher.
5: Clearly we're setting something up
4: here. Yes. <laughs> yes. Pavetta did is I pregnant. Did I miss
2: that? Oh my god, I totally oh, missed yes, that yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did.
4: Very end of the story. And I would say
0: this is technically the beginning of the main series yes yeah very much a prologue of in that
1: it, it kind of can't be understated how important this story is to the rest yes of
0: us. yes the entire rest of the series hinges on that last on, sentence too <laughs> on the yes. law of surprise and, and destiny and, this is the first time destiny, destiny becomes Geralt becomes highly entwined with uh the royal family of Sintra and the child yet to be. I really enjoy this one, if only for Calanthe, who is I always just imagine her as the Queen of Thorns, uh, but if she was actually the queen, uh yeah. and she's just <laughs> sassy and like verbally jousting with Geralt the entire time. Um I also like this one because it gives us one of my favorite names ever, Kukudak. Named because apparently he can sound like a rooster. Yep.
4: <laughs> this is from Wikipedia, but apparently that guy's name is Island Bird of Tig.
0: Bird yeah. of... And I prefer Kukudak. <laughs> Yeah.
4: Right, right. And that's what
1: stops Favetta from screaming cuz he attacks the back uh, yeah and then just like
5: very witcher. It's
1: like, oh no, it's it's not actually the mages and the witcher who like managed to stop her. It's this guy making a lot of crazy noise with that <laughs> Right, right,
0: right. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and you just have a lot of great names in this like, cuz you meet the islanders of Skellige who are basically imagine the iron islanders but not assholes. Right. That's yeah. what I felt
5: uh, like. I thought they were going there.
0: They're very Viking esque. You will see Krok on crate. Mm-hmm. Um, oh good, Patrick uh, will be happy. <laughs> this
1: a lot of uh, a lot of Skelliga in her. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, she spends a decent portion of her childhood on Skelliga. You also like Ice Twirsech and Dragbongdu, and okay. you're just like, oh, where are you finding these great names, Andre? Right. <laughs> And even like the fake name for Geralt, Sir uh, Lord Ravix of Fourhorn, yeah,
4: is that's terrific.
0: A great name. And... It's
1: also very. I love his um his sigil, right? Yeah. Because it's like a, a maiden, maiden a riding a bear, which yeah. is very yeah, definitely tied into uh some of the
5: bear and the maiden affair.
1: Yeah, and 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 just the <laughs> themes of the story, you know, with Pavetta and the and the beast.
5: You know, one thing I thought was interesting about this is that. In, in some ways, he does in this all the stuff I didn't like in the other books, in the other stories, but I liked it here for some reason. Like, like there's way too many characters that I could not even remotely keep track of, but mm-hmm. I didn't care because I liked them. <laughs> like, yeah. this character's doing something, and I wasn't really sure which one it was doing that, but I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'll go with it because I'm enjoying the rest of it, you know? <laughs> which is funny. And and I will say, I feel like a lo- everything was kind of way too neatly tied up, like, oh, wait – the the queen it's, the queen isn't he's yeah. is not really the king and oh wait she was having an affair all along oh wait and so was the queen oh and she's pregnant conveniently just in time for Geralt to you know claim the baby and it was just like a lot of it seemed really really convenient
4: but too I convenient care, I probably it.
1: right but I enjoy yeah he almost thinks something might be going on in the background.
4: So. <laughs> <laughs>
5: So deliberately that's so. Either way, I didn't care because I enjoyed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, I just have to like I have very mixed feelings in a good way about Calanthe because she is like a real piece of work. Yeah. And there's some stuff about her in sort of Destiny that is like holy shit. Um, but she's so dominant in this story and has so many of like amazing lines and like I can't even pick them all, but, like, well, one thing Geralt says is, like, Geralt was amazed by her arsenal of smiles, which is just, I think, a a fantastic line. Mm -hmm. And then, um, at the end, um, which I'm still going through, because this is a long story.
0: I would uh, say, like, just, I just found a random line, but, uh, with Calanthe, I'll give you whatever you ask for, and I don't like being told to repeat myself. I wonder, Witcher, do you always try to dissuade your employers as strongly as you are me? Time is slipping away. Answer, yes or no. Yes, that's better. That's better, Gerald. Your answers are much closer to the ideal. They're becoming more like those I expect when I ask a question. So, discreetly stretch your left hand out and feel behind my throne. And <laughs> it's like he's grabbing the sword she's placed there. But you can tell, like, she's used to getting her way and like as queen, she expects to be getting her way in all affairs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know this story really sets in motion all of the the later all of the later events of the series, and that it it starts with such a like it's it's so interesting because you know you don't really know what's going on and why Geralt's there and what he's doing, and then like what he is brought there for is definitely not what he ends up doing. And then whether or not that's, you know, a good or a bad thing kind of changes depending on how you look at it. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. And the fact that it ends on such a happy note is, uh, I think it's actually more of a narcissistic choice than it, than it seems initially, Mm -hmm. is what I'll say.
5: And, and, you know, for a, fantasy story that's you know not all that recent it's nice that like both of the major female characters have serious agency and Mm -hmm. they decide what they're going to do with their lives in both cases so that was kind of cool
1: yeah because it's really disturbing to be like oh so uh this guy just asked for this and like Pavetta like belongs to him now and then the fact that Geralt like very clearly establishes that it's Pavetta's consent that like seals the deal um is is a
0: big relief Something more than destiny. Yeah. Yeah. Which comes into play later. Um. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I would say of all the stories in this collection, that's the key one to watch. If not that mm-hmm. and the last wish, I think are the necessary reads for you to really understand these things. Yeah. Uh And also gives a good uh, show of how uh Geralt approaches sentient monsters. Uh, there are a lot of monsters who can understand they're not just beasts who are looking to eat vampires and such, kind of with the Bruxa. Uh, And some, like, are malicious and pose a constant danger to people. But uh, you you do learn in this that Geralt is against killing a monster for the si- simply because they are a monster, uh, and for the fact that he also recognizes this isn't a natural monster. This is a curse. Uh, and what do witchers do? Well, they break curses. So that's just kind of his general. He's like, I'm not just gonna kill this guy because he's cursed, and also he doesn't really like being used by Kalanthe. No uh again, she says, uh, like this it's called a question of price because so much of this is Kalanthe being like, well, what will it cost because she's willing to pay like dividends to kill Dooney and uh, have her Pavetta uh, marry Croc on crate. Uh, but we do see that uh, despite just kind of a general stereotype of witchers being mercenaries in all regards, uh, we do see that Geralt does kind of have his own Witcher's Codex. Now, whether or not his code changes over time, depending on how he feels, it, that that is open-ended.
5: Mm-hmm. Now, that actually brings up an interesting question I had, which I, we're not going to completely get into the game now. But I, one thing I wanted to ask, though, is since you brought it up there, which is, I mean... I like the idea of a you know more a more morally complex hero and yet you know let's face it video games are generally you know kill all the monsters you can you get more points you get more you know you get more experience you get more whatever more loot when you kill lots of monsters so does that that concept of like
4: You know, sentience, does
5: that translate into the game well?
4: Absolutely. What makes The Witcher, well, especially Witcher 3 great, is that it's not like that in the video games, in that almost every single side quest has its own story that presents sort of a moral dilemma for Geralt. So uh, yes, there's the sort of the loot collection aspect to that, but you're also sort of forced to sort of of confront moral questions that there's not an easy answer to in almost every single side quest.
6: So, basically, uh, Geralt and uh, so Dandelion are looking for work at the edge of the world, um, which I don't know where that is, but I didn't understand the geography of this whole thing. Um, so, they stumble, stumble into a weird situation where some kind of devil <laughs> um, is doing mischief, and the villagers want Geralt to drive him away, but not kill him. Um, So Geralt goes out to the fields and finds the devil, but it attacks him. Uh, So he goes back to the village where he meets with the old wise uh, woman and her kind of apprentice, whose name is Lil, and who is a weird character who you kind of understand is not quite who she appears to be. They learn that the devil is actually a Sylvan, and so he is an intelligent creature, creature and Geralt wouldn't kill uh, him anyway. So he goes back out to the fields to try to talk to him to understand why he's doing this and to convince him to, to just stop. But they end up fighting, and as the Sylvan escapes, um, Geralt is knocked out uh, by an unidentified rider. So he wakes up, bound next to Dandelion, and there are elves talking with uh, Sylvan whose name is Tork uh, apparently. Uh, it becomes clear that Torque was stealing food for the elves, um, who have been driven from their homes and are starving in the mountains uh, because of the humans. So Geralt tries to convince the elves to let them go, but they won't, and they are preparing to kill them. That's when Lil comes in, uh, but now she is the legendary queen of the fields. She communicates telepathically with the elves, and Geralt um, and uh, Dandelion are allowed to leave with talk after exchanging kind of farewells with the elves and a promise to that they will find themselves on the field uh, when there's finally a battle between the humans and the elves. And that's the end.
0: All right. So, the question I was going to ask is, uh, when the old wise woman speaks, does she speak in more like an archaic form of French? Uh,
6: or... let, me, let me check. I'm not, even, I'm not sure, but I have the book.
0: Because uh, so in I English, can... she uses a lot of tis. They want uh, ham. Like when she's reading, or not reading, but remembering yeah. what the book says. Though the witchman greatly covetous and greedy for gold be, giveth ye not such a w- one more than for a drowner one silver penny. I'm... It speaking like, back when English sounded more like German in, like, the way it's formed. Yeah. Like, the verbs going first.
6: No, it's not like it's a bit more archaic than the rest of the wording, but not that much. No, clearly not uh, to the extent you're describing. But yeah. I have no idea what it is in Polish. So.
0: All right. So what did you guys think of uh, the edge of the world?
4: Yeah, just very quickly. So the lo- specific location is Doblafana, the former elfish kingdom that uh, was mentioned by Philip Vendral, which has by this point been taken over by humans. Mostly mm-hmm.
1: this is, I think, where the first time we get like him being like, I'm just going to straight up rip off Tolkien, but like <laughs> a little different, you know, like, but but bad, <laughs> you know, like, like, what if everybody was really didn't get along? And then, you know, the situation had been reversed. I mean, Phil seems to be like a name straight out of Tolkien and um,
0: and
4: Teruvio. Yeah, Teruvio. But I think that the twist is that these yeah. these elves don't act like Tolkien's elves. These are these are desperate individuals. They're just as prone to very humanistic emotions. I the more sort of ethereal, almost.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel like this is kind of what might have happened to the mm-hmm. Tolkien elves if they sure. didn't have a west to sail to. Yeah. Like, yeah. if Tolkien's elves had to stay in Middle-earth, things would have been like, it's, you read the Silmarillion, some of those elves are real assholes. <laughs> and you can imagine how they would just clash so much with humanity. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, there's kind of the idea that the, that they leave for a reason, right? They leave for a reason. And yeah you know if if that was not able to happen like the age of man descending which is sort of what geralt talks about like it's Mm -hmm. you know things have changed and now it's it's man dying
4: (laughs) i think what's interesting about these specifically is how pathetic they are at this Mm -hmm. point and that the, the, the senses that i get out of them is just general pity and that's what geralt felt towards them
5: you know one thing i thought was weird was the contrast and, and wait almost too stark a contrast for me where the very next story has elf major characters and they're completely different like time-wise do those two stories happen near each other or is it just are they just totally different elves?
0: It was just uh, weird. Well, to me. they're the same elves, but in different locations. Like, there are some elves who refuse to integrate with human society, and they kind of become guerrilla groups with, uh, like, dwarves and halflings included, called the Scoia-tel. Uh You kind of learn more about them in the later books. Uh, but then you have, like, elves who just kind of live in cities, live in towns. They're still kind of treated like second class citizens. Uh, like because them. racism, yeah. uh, right? But uh, like they still like depending on the town, like some places are more uh, uh, inclusive and diverse, like willing to be diverse compared to other places.
1: Well, that's right. that's sort of what like the the complicated thing, right? That's what Gerald's arguing for, and yeah, you know, and like you know, you have to you have to assimilate if you want to survive. And, you know, Phil Evangel's like, oh, so we should just go and be treated like second-class citizens and, like, be taxed and, you know, have, like, it was very, it was, like, very kind of, like, you know, Jews in, in, in Europe to me. Like, there's, you know, m- mostly that role is taken by the dwarves, but, like, in this story, it felt very, like, you know, why should we bother becoming, like, everybody else? Like, like that just makes you more comfortable, <laughs> you know, yeah. as opposed to, like, actually yeah. benefiting anyone.
2: No, I also got the very Jews in Europe, especially like obviously I don't know anything about the dwarves yet because I haven't read that far, like read other books. But I definitely got that with like the even if they do assimilate, they're still different and they're like never going to be the same because you have these elves that are assimilated, but like they're still different. Because they're elves and you like the and they're just like you just have this uh, dichotomy, I guess. I, I felt I saw that connection a lot, too, with the, the um, question of assimilation in Europe, especially Eastern Europe.
0: <laughs> I, another thing I also kind of like this one is how different they are from the Tolkien elves and that the Tolkien elves are kind of treated as knowing everything. Meanwhile, like the like Sylvan Torque is bringing them these seeds, and they're like, "What do they call this seed?" He's like, "Oh, it's flax," and like they don't know <laughs> what like <laughs> agriculture like. Yeah. You kind of get the feeling that elves were very much live off the land. Well, w- so while get... humans are reap what you take.
4: Yeah. Now you feel like the elves are ten like thousands of years ago when they actually ruled over these lands. The elves are just the are people are basically like like spoiled aristocrats. And by this point, they have no idea how to, to survive on their own. They had to sort of leech off neighboring villages.
1: Or even just like the, you know, the, the, the kind of the downside of living magically in a way, yeah. right? I, I don't have any reason to doubt then that he was like, you know, the earth would just spring forth its gifts for us and you guys have to like hack at it and whatever. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how to do that. And it's like, well... If you don't know how to, like, but that's not working anymore, you know? So, like, you know, I mean, all, all the elves are like, well, we were here first. And then, like, the dwarves are like, no. And, like, checking, checking their watches and being like, we got here, like, before you
0: Yeah, dwarves you guys. and gnomes are like, yeah. this is our house. You yeah. came here.
2: <laughs> See, I okay I might have misinterpreted this but I saw it as like the elves when they said that it was like more they were a foraging society and then the humans are um, like a pastoralism agricultural society and so the elves um, like when they're saying like things just spring forward from the ground like I it reminded me of this paper I had to read once for uh, anthropology class on the uh matsutaki mushroom i forget who wrote the paper but it's it was all, talking about how like the people that forage for these mushrooms they like they view it as like the earth is giving it's like a more um natural and like relationship with the world and like the earth is giving them these things and then when they come to the consumer it, it was about consumerism and um, commodification of things i'm not gonna get into the whole thing but anyways um it's like a different relationship that you have with the the item and so like I saw it as the elves are saying like we were foraging and stuff and it's just where they live happens to not grow anything that they can forage for. And that's the way that their culture runs. And so they, because they were forced out of this place that was so plentiful in um like the way that they live their life and the type of society and structure they have it's just like they no longer they, they, it's kind of like in Canada when a bunch of um in, in I probably brought this up a million times on all these casts I, I talk about this all the time I don't know why like a bunch of indigenous people were forced to were not forced but like kind of forced to move up north to like the very northern part of Nunavut and like they're not pre- they might be hunter-gatherers but they're not prepared to be like hunter-gatherers in that specific section of Canada and so they weren't able to survive properly because that section didn't have like the resources that they were used to so they didn't know how to use it and so that's kind of how i interpreted this but that might have been completely misinterpreted
4: (laughs) i feel like there were different types of elves so people who like philomandel who were elvish nobles before everything that happened and people like the, the the elf character that appears in the next story, his sort of, from his lineage, in which there are elves who were able to sort of, who, who probably did sort of live off the lands and gathered things and sort of worked for for a living. And then you have people like Filivenger who just have things given to him. So I think there is this sort of, this, I think you're not wrong in some of your assumption. And I think Philavandro is trying to generally invoke, uh this sort of uh, a lifestyle that has now, that no longer exists. Um, but I think individually, people like Philavandro, people like Tor, Toruvio, they're much they used to a lifestyle that's not available to them and they're angry about that and not willing to adapt. Whereas there are elves who, who are who did adapt over time. And these are the people that sort of these those are the people that um Geralt points to and say, why can not you be more like them? Now I think that generally there's a there's this larger question of whether people like Philavanters should feel like they need to adapt to this new world. And that and because that's where it gets to even further larger issues regarding race and uh Cult, uh, cultural assimilation and these sort of larger issues. Um, I feel it's interesting that this story it's trying to get at all these themes whereas the story, just the story itself is actually incredibly simple.
0: It really does an excellent job of kind of setting the scene of how elves are in this world so that for future reference you can be like, oh, this is what Phil Evangel was talking about, or this is what they're talking about when non-humans face discrimination in this now slowly growing human-centric world.
6: It's also the introduction of, of uh, Dandelion, right?
0: Yes, it is yes. the introduction of yes. I
6: mean, we've Dandelion. we've uh, heard Yay. from him in the voice of reason a little half things uh, between the, the stories, but it's the first story with him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and I you you grow to love Dandelion. Uh he is an I already optimistic do. idiot in that Oh
1: I love him. He's, yeah,
0: he's a smush. He is oh just a dweeb in so many <laughs> meanings of the term, but yeah. After that we have the last wish with Michal, yeah. which I'm sure, I can't wait, because I know how you feel about Geralt and Yennefer. And <laughs> it's just the beginning.
1: So in um, the, the first of what will become something of a running theme, Geralt and Dandelion try and make breakfast out of fish. They instead catch a genie's bottle. Um, the genie att- attacks Dandelion and starts Wrecking havoc on his voice and throat. Geralt rides to the town of Rind, but they're there at night and nobody is allowed through unless you're like a super noble human um, until morning. So they wait there. Um, Geralt meets an elf named Chiriden and his cousin. They tell him that there is a sorceress who's defying um, the tax and the boycott of magic in Rind and who can probably help. So in the morning, he goes to the the sorceress's house, um, knocks the doorman unconscious, because money opens all doors, and finds a sort of drunk, befuddled, uh, the merchant that, that the sorceress is living with, um, and then uh, goes and brings her apple juice. She is sexy AF and tells him that she will help him, but she needs to take a bath first. So they sort of... Bathe, par- they parallel bathe, and she makes herself invisible as they have a conversation. But he still kind of watches the water reveal this and that. I think it's he, she, she agrees to help. Gerald kind of uh, also notes that Yennefer's beauty is um, uh, some is magically induced because uh, sorceresses were usually usually started off as ugly girls. It gets a little complicated because Yennefer agrees to help um, and starts to help him and then starts to help Dandelion. Geralt goes to check on them and um, she puts Geralt under a spell that basically makes him go kick the ass of everyone who insulted her in the town. Geralt wakes up in prison with Geraden, um, and they're like, man, we're fucked the mayor shows up and the priest shows up and basically nobody there likes Yennefer, but they have different opinions on exactly what to do. Geralt is about to be killed or they're like about to be taken to the scaffold, whatever Geralt's getting beaten up. And then he wishes that this is out of order. I don't care. Um, he wishes that the guard will burst and he does. Dandelion shows up through a portal and is like, I wish that you let him go. And that sort of, Clarifies things a little bit. Um, Yennefer starts to try and snare the genie. Um, she needs the last wish to be discharged. So that she can get its full power. But Geralt knows that that's not going to work. Long story short. They, uh, he goes to help her. They fall through a couple of portals. There are oysters and boobs. Uh, and Yennefer realizes that he is the master of the genie. And he makes his last wish. Um, which is un- unstated in the book um but does something so that the genie can no longer kill Yennefer as it wants to in the wreckage of the house they are like "Ooh, ooh," and then have sex and he at some point (laughs) Carol's like you were a hunchback and this is like a a big revelation to him um and uh yeah and then Sheridan um finds finds them they all everybody thinks that Geralt and Yennefer are dead but then they realize that um nope they are just enjoying each other's company in the wreckage um and there's also a go fuck yourself joke in in the story
0: yay Woo. yeah that's our introduction to mm-hmm. the infamous Yennefer who will play a big part in all the coming tales
5: yeah, I mean it was um, really clear that she was going to be a major character like I couldn't tell if any of the other characters would come back but obviously her and Dandelion were so
0: yeah You learn just who Yennefer is. Someone who is incredibly vindictive if you cross her. Specifically, I'd like to quickly kind of read out what her punishment was for the people in the... When she uh, enchants Geralt to do her bidding. I fear, muttered Geralt, that that wasn't the end of it. Your fears are well-founded. You left the pawnbrokers and marched down the center of the street, jostling passerby and shouting some nonsense about a lady's honor. There was quite a crowd following you, Airedale, Razimir, and I among them. Then you stopped in front of Laurel Nose, the apothecary's house, <laughs> went in, and were back in the street a moment later, dragging Laurel Nose by the leg, and you made something of a speech to the crowd. What sort of speech? To put it simply, you stated that a self-respecting man shouldn't ever call a professional harlot a whore because it's base and repugnant, while using the word whore to describe a woman one has never knocked off or paid any money for doing so is childish and punishable. The punishment you announced would be dealt there and then, and it would be fitting for a spoilt child. You thrust the apothecary's <laughs> head between his knees, pulled down his pants, and thrashed his arse with a belt. That's just kind of Jennifer's style. Uh, if you end up kind of making her look the fool, she will repay it like fivefold,
1: or even try. Honestly, you or don't even have to try. Be successful.
0: Yeah. The
1: the interesting thing about this story is that like the tables are a little bit turned on some of the, like, things that, that has relied on in terms of, like, consent and, and whatever, because Geralt and Yennefer's relationship, which I adore to pieces and is one of my favorite literary relationships, um, begins with a serious (laughs) breach of consent of Geralt by Yennefer. She puts him under a spell and makes him do whatever she wants, and, like, that's, that's not, you know, it's, it's not sexual, but it's, it sort of sets the tone in some ways for the way things are between them. um, And not necessarily in a healthy way, but then are Gerald and Yennefer really healthy? I don't know.
5: Mm -hmm. Well, I like the, you know, the idea that it's almost like, you know, mind rape, except without the sex, you know, you Mm. you get some of that in um, Jessica Jones series Mm. where yes, there was actual rape, but there were also other characters who still, you know, we're just taken over by the bad guy and it still is traumatic and awful. So I kind of like that there. But but here's the thing I don't get is, so at what point was he not under her control? Was, I mean, all that stuff when he goes back after her, is that his own doing? Because, I mean, we get from the other elf who's like, nah, yeah, I can't control it. So does he genuinely love her? Or did she just make him? Or is that residual? I, I wasn't clear at all what was
1: going on there. I, I don't think Jennifer's expecting it because she's very surprised. When like he is is trying to save her and stop her from doing this because she's like no I want to do this and if I die doing this I'll, do, I'll die doing this you know right. whatever Geralt's wishes somehow binds their fates together like so whatever so that fact really um, surprises her so I don't think it was intentional but it's possible it was a side effect but I I I like to think that Geralt kind of sees a kinship in Yennefer kind of from from the beginning that like. It's it's sort of a ruthlessness, but also like a kindness in a you know like she does help Dandelion you know and like we don't know if she would have helped if she hadn't thought she could get the the gin out of it, but like Go. I feel like the answer is not necessarily no. <laughs> um, well, that's a raving endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, for she it might for not Marcus, be a total. It actually, day. sort of is.
0: <laughs> and I yeah. do feel. Like Geralt initially goes back to her simply because she's a person and you learn that Geralt is above all a humanist. He believes in like the better side of people. He knows that people will rarely devote themselves to the better side of humanity. But if like there's a chance to just save someone who probably doesn't deserve death, like he'll go for it.
5: This is a lot more than just saving someone. I mean,
0: you know. Well, he I, he does save her with his last wish, and it's only because he's able to bind her to him that he's able to save her. Otherwise, the djinn would have killed her.
1: Which I mean, also like you know, creates that question of how much they are like the how much of their bond is kind of self-generated and how much of it is created by the wish. Right. Um, which I guess also calls consent into question, but like. Their relationship becomes so much more than like all of the than this basis that like it's you know I don't know there's there's a part that like well first of all was was just you know being being used to George R R Martin and his attempts at writing sex um, <laughs> I found. The, the relationship between Gerald and Jennifer just like much better. Um, in yeah, so bar be. though. <laughs> well, I mean, he has a line like they were caring and tender, and I, although neither quite knew what caring and tenderness were, they succeeded because they very much wanted to. Like, yeah, and I... that that seems really sweet and like telling to me that like these that it doesn't come naturally to them to be like necessarily nice or generous people, but like. But, like, there's kind of, like, a value in effort, you know, and and having good intentions. Mm -hmm. Which maybe is, is maybe a a sign of, like, what Yennefer would have, you know, like, maybe, maybe she, like, didn't, she sort of wanted to be generous to Dandelion and and, and Geralt, you know, but, like, the only way she knows how to do that is to, like, use it to her advantage.
5: I I guess the thing for me was, I, I just... As much as, you know, I want to be the romantic and true love wins out and all that shit, I mean, the the woman just, like, basically mind-raped him, you know, took over his body and made him do stuff against his will. And now suddenly, I mean, first of all, even just going back to save her seems a little excessive, but to be, like, obsessed and, and basically in love with someone in that situation seems either really, really unrealistic or you know, somehow enforced or, you know, coerced to me. Like, I'd like to think it was all sweet and lovey, but like, yeah, she just took over your body and made you like kill people. And yeah, you'd, you'd have probably been killed or thrown in jail for the rest of your life. I don't know. I just had a tr- trouble buying it.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, the stakes are very high. Um...
0: I think it's just a telling of Subkowski in that I don't think he writes one pure love story in this book every like major kind of love connection is messy and like has like gross elements to it like love usually is like there are awkward parts there are parts that where you're not sure if this is morally right or not but then at the same time these two characters still show desire and love for each other you'll you see it later in the books in a specific example but like even like Geralt and Yennefer, who towards the end are kind of like the ideal couple, like they have messy beginnings, too, with this specifically. So I think it's just uh, emblematic of the kind of love stories Sokowski is good at writing.
1: And, and there is a certain amount of ambiguity just in terms of like the, 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 the technical details of their relationship, because... When we are, you know, meeting Geralt and when he's talking about Yennefer in the voice of reason, they were together and then they broke up and it was a real messy and Geralt like was like apparently just ran away in the middle of the night. We're not sure. You know, it's not instantly perfect, but I, I think they both are like very needy people and I think they're both I think they're both perceived as being. And want to be perceived as much like stronger and much more like powerful, you know, like Yennefer's Jennifer's physicality is is partly, you know, the like, uh, you know, 80s fantasy writing. She really throws it in his face at one point that, like, I was I was able to do this to you because you were hardly paying attention because you were watching me wash my tits, you know, like. And,
5: you
1: know, they they both want to like to put out that view of themselves. And I think they both kind of recognize that in each other. I don't necessarily buy the whole like, and she was a hunchback. like I don't know, like the the whole paragraph about how like, you know sorceresses are beautiful you know women with the eyes of ugly girls and i think there's there's something to be said for both of them experiencing less power than they do now and and kind of like a lot of what they do is in response to that experience certainly certainly Jennifer, and i think gerald's also
5: um i had one question for all of you is um so as to the three wishes so, at what point did you realize that he actually was getting the wishes and and not Dandelion? And for me, the answer was the second the, with well, the second wish. It seemed really obvious, but I missed the first one totally. What was the first wish?
1: Okay, so the first wish is a, is a joke um, that you're not supposed to really. Yeah. So so he says Geralt says that incantation. He throws that incantation that like he heard a priestess say once, right?
0: when he's um, trying to exercise the djinn.
1: yeah right um and that is what it ends up translating yeah. to go fuck yourself so he his wish is that the djinn goes and fucks itself which it appa- apparently uh, has to, um, which,
6: which
0: I can understand why it's angry now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <there>. <laughs> Okay.
5: <laughs> yeah, I
6: it totally wasn't obvious to me either, uh, David. I think even by the second wish, I didn't get it. Um, oh, I
5: got it the second wish because he immediately says, like, what was it exactly? It wasn't explode, but something to that effect. Uh, yeah, yeah. Burst and. You burst, and, and he did. So at yeah, that point, yeah, was, okay, I know, but I was—that's just, just too coincidental. I was like, no, that's got to be
0: <laughs>
6: obviously. <laughs> like, I'm.
0: Uh, all right. And then I will end us with the voice of reason, which is the short story that is kind of interspersed. Not uh, a story. Throughout. Framing sequence. Sorry, I'm gonna,
1: uh, I'm gonna be a literary snob here. It's not a story. It's just connective tissue. It's a framing sequence. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, all right.
5: Although, I mean, it Five. does have a solid story in there. I mean. Eh. It, I mean, a short one, but. Parts of it, parts of it. All right. (laughs) Mainly the end.
0: (laughs) Go. All right. So, uh, it takes place in the Temple of Melitola in Elender, which is part of the Kingdom of Temeria, which is where Foltest is king. Uh, Geralt is being tended to by the uh, priestesses of Melitola, uh, specifically uh, Mother Neneca, who is kind of the high priestess there. He starts out being awakened by Yola, who is a mute servant, and they make love simply because he's Geralt. He, he's he's just a horny bastard. And he falls asleep thinking about uh, his fight with the Striga. That's when it goes back to the Witcher story. By the morning, uh, Nenica wakes him up and says that he really needs to get better by entering into a trance would, which would show him his future he refuses because he doesn't believe in trances or the goddesses uh, he has a profound respect for uh, mother Nenika, but at the same time he is fairly staunchly an atheist uh, and then we get the story a grain of truth Uh, Later on, two knights of the the Order of the White Rose, Count Falwick and Sir Tails, arrive. They are ordered by the Prince of Elendor to chase Geralt out of town because he's a witcher, and witchers are gross, and you don't want them hanging around too much because they're basically vagrants. Geralt promises to leave in three days. Insulted, Tails challenges Geralt to a duel, and the knights promise to return. That's when we get the story of The Lesser Evil. And then later, we also have Geralt telling Yola about his history as a Witcher and destiny, which is when we get the question of price. Later, Dandelion shows up, uh, having heard of Geralt's uh, adventure in Vizima with the astriga and has just decided to see how he's doing. They talk about how the Witcher profession is losing profitability in modern times because so many monsters are going extinct at this point. Later, Geralt talks to Nenica about Yennefer, wishing to give her some give some of his payment for, from defeating the Striga to her, and he talks about how Yennefer and him first met. Finally, Geralt and Dandelion decide to leave, but they are uh, waylaid by Falwick and Tails and a company of soldiers who are led by Dan- uh, Dennis Cranmer, a dwarf captain. The knights tell Geralt that he either has to fight Tails or in which he must basically not hurt Tails, otherwise he'll be killed. Uh, so he basically has to throw the match. Geralt accepts but avoids punishment by causing Tails to injure himself. Dennis accepts the, loop, accepts the loophole and permits Geralt to leave, hoping to meet Geralt in the future. Before he leaves, Geralt touches Yolette's hand, inducing a trance. Geralt, Yola, and Neneca see a bloody and violent vision of Geralt's future. Geralt dismisses the vision, claiming to have seen it before, and says goodbye to Neneca. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like these as kind of like a framing device for the rest of the stories because it helps us first meet Dandelion, and but also it gives us the amazing character of Mother Neneca, who is. I assume she'll be important. <laughs> uh, sort of. She's it's not too much, but she does act as almost like Geralt's mother. Like she judges his relationship with Yennefer and such, and she's also just like like the sassy nun character basically. Uh, I have one. She's,
1: she's very much like, "Let me take care of you. I'm not your mother. Don't complain to me. Tell me all <laughs> your problems. Shut up. I'm not your mom."
0: <laughs> Why don't you call anymore? <laughs> but one of my favorites is you've a guest. Who is it this time? Duke Heroward himself? No. It's that... It's Dandelion this time. Your fellow. That idler, parasite, and good-for-nothing... That priest of art. The bright, shining star of the ballad and love poem. As usual, he's radiant with fame, puffed up like a pig's bladder, and stinking of beer. Do you want to see him? Cool. Of course. He's my friend, after all. Nanika peeved, shrugged her shoulders. I can't understand that friendship. He's your absolute opposite. Opposites attract, obviously. There, he's coming. Your famous poet. He really is a famous poet, Nanika. Surely you've not, you're not going to claim you've never heard his ballads. I've heard them the priestess winced, yes indeed, well, I don't know much about it, but a, but maybe the ability to jump from touching lyricism to obscenity so easily is a talent. Never mind, forgive me, but I won't keep you company. I'm not in the mood for either his poetry or his vulgar jokes and then uh, dandelion comes in. My deepest respects, Venerable Mother, he whined <laughs> stupidly. Praise be to the great Melitele and her priestesses, the springs of virtue and wisdom. Stop talking bullshit, snorted Nenika, and don't call me Mother. The very idea that you could be my son fills me with horror. She puts everyone in their place, specifically, like when uh, the knights come to tell Geralt off. And uh, Sir Tails throws down the gauntlet. Neneca's like, pick that up. You dropped something. (laughs) And, like, (laughs) she just dismisses everyone simply because she is kind of able to because she's a priestess. She's only answerable to her goddess. And a lot of the people who do, like, talk to her kind of realize that.
5: Yeah. I mean, I feel like Other than, you know, the little bits with them, like all of the early framing sequences stuff are kind of like whatever, like, you know, we just need a point page. Like, it's the kind of thing you see in an anthology with different writers a lot, like, hey, let's come up with some sort of thing to make all these stories fit together. But then, like, I feel like the last chapter Like is actually a, an interesting story. Like I like the way he gets out of the fight, you know, and obviously you get the big mic drop of the, you know, oh shit, he's going to have a pretty shitty ending here. (laughs) A big bloody nasty one, you know, like I'm reading that going like, oh, this is actually a big moment.
0: (laughs) I agree. Like everything until like when the Knights of the White Rose kind of show up is kind of meh. And then you kind of get, once you get more of that actual conflict, it becomes better. Yeah. All right.
1: Yeah, there's, there's good character stuff in, in this for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I also sure. really, really, really like how <laughs> how it starts with like, you know, I, I, I've been hearing about like how great this is and blah, blah, blah. And it starts with the most like typical yeah. fantasy, like, you know, like her mantle brushed across her bare breasts. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. really, Paul? Really? <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really all Paul's fault.
0: <laughs> it is. It is my fault. But yeah, uh, that is the Last Wish anthology of books. Uh, the next one we will be going through is Sword of Destiny, not Storm of Swords. Uh, <laughs>
5: Can we do both at the same time?
0: Like a crossover? No, we've already done a re-read.
5: <laughs> we do like a crossover. A linear crossover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but yeah uh also uh, because david asked that i bring this up for a uh, suggested order of doing things i would say read the books uh if you want to see the first season of the show read the first two short story anthologies and then i'd say like the beginning of maybe blood of elves to get everything from the show
5: I mean, I don't mind a few spoilers here and there, okay. or even, But, but I'm just saying in general, like
0: you in know, general, the, the first fact? season follows kind of. You know, it is very much like the Last Wish, where it's not fantastic, but it is enjoyable in parts. Yeah, uh, honestly, like
1: I don't think there's. I, I would, I would read um, sort of Destiny, especially because if you've read, um, if you've already read the Last Wish, then like, you're kind of over the hump of like this is incomprehensible. <laughs>
5: yeah, know? right, right, right.
1: Um. <laughs> But that, but that was re- very much helped by, you know, it helped me to watch the show first. So like I, it's not, and there no, are, nothing hugely consequential is going to be spoiled for you. And um,
0: I would definitely say read the books first, simply because they do things a lot better than the show.
1: Well, there are ways in which the show, oh, comes, the, the show on, never happens. The show on does level
0: very things. well with story things, but specifically like Brokilon. Chorus. right yes it's what i'm thinking yes yeah. i not... mean
1: they, yeah there's there's basically like from a feminist point of view like they def, like the show definitely goes like ah we can do this a little better in a lot right, of yeah. ways um which is appreciated but but i do agree that like there's a lot of the emotional core of stuff and 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 the pacing of the show kind of like definitely privileges some storylines over others um
2: yeah.
5: Right. But they don't, don't they also bring move up like Yennefer's storyline and uh, I don't know the name of the other major well, female actually, characters. They move a lot of that stuff up earlier, right? Because
0: just to you know get us. That's not the a
1: lot of that is not in the books at
0: all. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. like yeah. all of you, like Yennefer's background story. That's just in the show. That's never really shown in the books. Um. So, so yeah. They're not going to bring uh, the
5: stars in a couple of seasons in.
0: <laughs> yeah. In regards to the video games. Yeah. uh the video games take place six years after the book series ends. all three of them all three of them interesting okay
5: so will there be major spoilers like will i know oh shit this big thing's gonna happen or
0: yes okay. there will be big spoilers i would say you're probably free to skip the first video game it's not very consequential to the rest of the games and it's not mm-hmm. very good uh which two acts acts pretty nice where it's a very linear story um, and it uh, it's kind of, it has uh, like Witcher 2 and 3, the choices you make as Geralt really affects the outcome. I'd say Witcher 2 is like a linear, almost kind of politics uh, almost kind of like a Game of Thronesy thing because you're Geralt thrown into a political situation and you need to kind of choose who you're going to trust, who you're going to side with. And then Witcher 3 is a much more grandiose Time to save the day, but right. also let me play some Gwent on the side. Now,
5: given how big 3 is, I mean, it's like one of the biggest video games of all time. Do you, is it something you might want you jump into 3 or would would you really want? Will, will it be deeper and richer if you watch, if you
0: play It will least? be definitely deeper and uh, richer if you play the second game beforehand okay. because you will meet characters that are only in the second game that are kind of interesting uh, with good background, but yeah, that would be my recommendation.
5: If if for for those who are listening who don't want to do two, would you miss much? Like, would you will three make just as much sense if you skip two? or do you really need two? Uh, I mean, yeah, it'll make just curious some sense
0: for I'm the still, listeners.
5: Give everyone the options.
0: I'm dedicating myself to getting Mikael to play The Witcher Three <laughs> as if only as the only video game. There is some lore stuff that you can get filled in, but like, there's monologue in uh, the game that will clean it up if you just want to start with Witcher 3.
5: Okay, just wondering.
0: Thanks. Alright. Thank you for joining us on this adventure through Andrei Sapkowski's first Witcher book, The Last Wish. The next one will, of course, be Sword of Destiny. I almost said Sword <laughs> of Destiny. <laughs> These words are too similar. Uh, we look forward to doing it then. So, goodbye! Bye, Bye. everyone. Thank Hopefully you. talk to you all again fun. soon. Cheers. Stay well.